Good morning, church. Thanks for having us. We're very grateful to be here. My name is Ryan. I come from Saskatchewan. I experienced a deep soul wound rejection from my father as a child. And not having a godly role model of what a man should look like, I took on the world's concept of what a man should be. Maybe I've had the nicest clothes or the biggest muscles or the prettiest girlfriend, you'd accept me. I was introduced to alcohol from a young age and was in two separate car accidents where friends died in front of my face before my 19th birthday. I excelled at hockey, but it's not until I went, was drafted by the LA Kings and went to my first NHL training camp where they told me I'd have to fight if I wanted to make it. So I entered into the dark world of being a hockey enforcer, where I'd sedate myself with alcohol, steroids, sex, and drugs to numb the brutality of my job. On meeting my wife, we made a decision to quit hockey and attend the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. I was going to be the next WWE sensation. However, it wasn't long before my life was out of control with alcohol, drugs, and steroids. And after a knee injury, my wife left town with another wrestler. But now I'm back in hockey and I'm taking drugs before hockey games, three games and four nights with no sleep, with two different types of steroids in my body. My heart was sure to explode. I was introduced to crack cocaine and I ended up in jail. On leaving jail, I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, but I had no foundation. I was not properly discipled. And after a rejection from a woman who I thought would be my wife, I made a bad decision. I picked up drugs one night. However, now it's crystal meth. I did it one time and I could not stop. Teen Challenge had come to my church in the meantime and something resonated with me. Those boys were really on fire for Jesus. They knew Jesus. And when God told me I was going, I said yes. Since come to Teen Challenge at Lacta, Canada, with my amazing counselor, Melissa, and these wonderful men and women of God who work there, they've helped me to identify these core beliefs which I believed about myself, such as I'm bad, I'm worthless, and I hate myself. And they helped me to bring to life with the realization that I'm not bad, but I'm a child of God. I'm loving myself for the first time in my life. I'm walking in sexual purity and hope to be an amazing Christian husband one day. I'm truly being discipled from the men of God who work there. And on leaving Teen Challenge, I hope to one day go to Bible College and work for this great ministry. Thank you. So my name's Luke, and for a long time, I thought drugs and alcohol were my biggest problem. And um, over the past 10 months of Teen Challenge, I've really come to know that they are a symptom of more of a solution to pain and anguish that I experienced um, when I was a child. I remember I was five years old. Drugs and alcohol were always prevalent in my home. I was five years old. My mom would take me to her Al-Anon meetings. I would sit in the back and play with Lego blocks. My father, he was an alcoholic. God love him. But he cared about me, but he didn't really know how to show it. He had his own issues that he was struggling with, and um, it came into the home. And my, my mom had to leave my father uh, when I was really young. Um, if anyone knows anything about drugs and alcohol, you don't use them to feel good. You use them to stop feeling bad. And between the bullying and the soul wound that I had from my father um, leaving when I was very young, um, I needed a solution and I didn't know what it was going to be to help myself stop feeling bad. So when I was 13, 14 years old, I started drinking and then by the time I was 15 years old, I was smoking pot. And by the time I was 17, I had a needle in my arm and I was injecting cocaine and opioid pain medication. I was 17 years old with a needle in my arm. 
and that was my solution. I didn't see any other way out of it, and I didn't know what to do. And my life crumbled. It was crumbling before me, and I didn't know what to do. It followed me all the way up until when I was 20 years old. It almost killed me. It almost took my life. Three years ago, I was living in Edmonton with my girlfriend, and I was working there, and we were living in an apartment building, an 11-story apartment building, a secured apartment building. We lived on the sixth um, floor in a one-bedroom flat, and I, at the time, my addiction was at the forefront. I was abusing fentanyl, you see that in the news, a really high-powered painkiller, and I was injecting cocaine, and it affected my home, my job, everything. It almost stole everything from me, and it got out of control really quickly. Eventually, my girlfriend left, and I was going to lose my home to unpaid rent and I didn't know what to do. I had no family in my life, I had no God in my life, and the situation seemed really bleak. I fell into a deep depression after she left, and I started to binge on drugs, because that was my solution. That's where I drew power from. The binge lasted four days, and after the fourth day, my, my body was strong, but my mind was weak. I fell into a cocaine-induced psychosis, and I started hearing and seeing things in the, in the hallways of the building, outside the windows. I barricaded the door, the fridge, the stove, nailed it shut. When I hammer and nails, I was a carpenter at work, I had my tools there, and I started calling the police. Every time I called the police, they deduced I was high on drugs, and they never came to my aid that night. After the third time, I didn't know what to do. I was in fight or flight mode. I thought to myself, if I set fire to the apartment, it's a secure building, there's other people in the building, there's some, has a police ambulance, someone has to come and help me. So I took a blowtorch to the sprinkler in my living room, and in the process of doing that, I, I dropped the blowtorch, it set the couch on fire, and everything got out of control really quickly. The fire was raging, I was getting lower and lower to the ground, and I didn't know what to do. Everything was, and I was barricaded in, you know, six floors up. Um, I was sure to die if I stayed in the apartment. And a, a voice came in, I, I know, I'm sure it was God that just today, a voice came into my mind, it was, if I can get out of the apartment somehow, some way, I might go on to do something with my life because I wasn't doing anything and I, I didn't have the guts to kill myself but I wanted the drugs and alcohol to do it for me. So I wasn't going to get out to the front door so I ran to the window upon running across the, uh, the, my living room. My clothes caught on fire, I punched out the window, the fire shot out with extreme intensity and I jumped 75 feet to the ground that day. The fire stole about 35% of my skin, I have skin grafts in my arms and my back. And upon back to the ground, I broke all my ribs, I collapsed along, I shattered uh, my humerus, I fractured my pelvis, I dislocated both my shoulders, I broke all my fingers, I hurt three or four vertebrae in my back, um, I severed a tendon in my right hand, I'm in my left hand, and I almost, I almost lost my right hand as well to the window. Um, that's where drugs brought me. That's what happened to me. From pot at 15 years old to lying in a hospital bed, downtown Edmonton, in the University of Alberta Hospital, burned to a crisp inside and out. And the crazy thing is, is how powerful it is. When you give yourself to it, I gave myself to it. I gave everything I could to it, because that was the only way I could feel good. I'm lying in that hospital bed and I'm thinking about using. You know, that's how far down I was. It, it took everything from me. It was a long recovery. Three or four times a day, the nurses would come in and peel the bandages off my back with the skin, and I would just scream blue murder and tell them, just the medically assisted death, please, suicide some way, just euthanize me, I'm done, I don't want to do it anymore. And slowly I learned to feed myself again, and slowly I learned to walk again. And they brought me back to health, and the catheter came out, and the chest tube came out, and the feeding tube came out. 
and I got back to health. And when I finally got enough, stabilized enough to be able to manage a flight, I wanted to go back to Newfoundland. I'm from Newfoundland, by the way. And um, I wanted to be with my mom, because I was mom's boy. I'm not afraid to shame that. I'm, uh, I'm mom's boy, right? That's, that's pretty much it. Like, I grew up without my dad, and I just, it, 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 I was, right? I wanted to be with my mom. So I flew home kind of prematurely. I wasn't completely back to health, and I stayed with my mom. And I fell into a deep depression with the pain and the abuse that I put my body through. I was in such a dark place, and I fell into a, a position where I was abusing my pain medication. And then I fell into a cocaine pit not long afterwards because that was the only way I knew how to manage the pain and the anguish. Again, I had no God in my life. I thought if there was a God, he didn't have a plan for me, and I felt I was condemned for all the things that I was doing in my life. My mom had to remove me from the home a little while after she was raising my brother, and she wanted to raise him in a good Christian home, and she couldn't have me there. So she, a year after the accident, where I was being put on my own, I was put in an apartment downtown St. John's, and it wasn't long before I was homeless and lost that apartment, and I was on the street. I remember my mom had mentioned to me she didn't want to lose me, so she mentioned to me that she heard through a, a program in the church called Teen Challenge. And I was like, I don't want to go there. It's got to do with God. I don't want to hear about God, and I definitely don't want to go back to rehab again. I've tried that too many times. So I went back out on the street and started using it, and it got so bad, I went down to 135 pounds. I remember waking up in a house one morning, and there was needles that were all around my bed. And I remember getting up that morning, and I was sitting on the edge of the bed, and I was about to get my drugs in me. And I just remember, I just, I just remember thinking, I'm so done with all of this. I'm so sick of being sick, of being sick, of being sick. And I, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. And at this time, I pushed my parents away and pushed everyone away. Everyone out of my life, I was by myself. And I just wanted to die. And I was just like, I'm so done with doing, doing this. I don't want to die anymore. I want to live. So I ran to a payphone and I called my mother that morning. I said, all right, I'm ready to go to Teen Challenge. I'm ready to do anything you want me to do. Please, please, all right, help me. You're going to help me, right? Yep, yep, yep. She's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, are you serious? And she's like, nope, you're, I'm not going to just do it for you. You got to want to get clean and sober as, as bad as you wanted to get those drugs. You know, I'm done cleaning up your mess. She said, you make the appointments, you want to go to Teen Challenge, you got to get a medical done, blood work done, everything done to get into this program. You make the appointments and I'll try and get you there. Call me back in the morning. So I made the appointments. And then I contacted Teen Challenge and I did the phone interview and I started getting the things in place to want to get my, my life back on track. I started setting dates and my date was set for January 9th of this year. Around this time last year, I was living in a homeless shelter for Christmas because my mom still couldn't have me home. I was in such a bad state. I was living in the homeless shelter and um, Christmas passed, December 26th is Boxing Day, and it looked like I was going to Teen Challenge and everything was going to be good. So I went off on a last hurrah moment that night on December 26th, Boxing Day. I went out and I abused a lot of opiates that night. I came home and I sat in the living room of the homeless shelter, and I passed out on the couch, and when they came to wake me up to do my chore that night, couldn't wake me up, I was non-responsive. They called the ambulance, the fire department to resuscitate me back to health. It, upon doing that, I, I woke up, I, I was angrier than a hornet, I was, I was angry, I was embarrassed. Um, I kind of stormed out of the living room, pushed a police officer out of my way, and that made him mad, and he went out and he ran my name through the docket of warrants or whatever, see if there was anything that he could get me on. They called me back out of my room into the living room, and they said, Luke, and uh, they said, Luke, this police officer has something to say to you. And he said, Luke Taylor? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, you're going to jail. I said, excuse me? I said, no, I'm not, I'm going to Teen Challenge January night. He said, no, you're going to jail. 
Um, two and a half years ago, you almost burned down an apartment building in a moment of sanity and, put, and endangered a lot of people's lives. You got a Canada-wide warrant for, for arson, and it looks like you're going to go to jail. And at that point, moment, my stomach dropped out of me. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm, I thought I was going to Teen Challenge. I thought, you know, I thought we had this worked out. Like, what's going to happen here? So I just, they brought me down to the city lockup, and uh, I was sitting in the, in the holding cells, and I was just praying. Praying, praying, praying. I was like, there's some way, somehow, you can get me out of this. I'll go to Teen Challenge, and I'll get my life back on track. I'll do this your way. I tried doctors. I tried medications. I tried everything trying to get my life back on track. I said, all right, God, I'll try it your way. I'll just try. The lawyer came in. She said, Luke Taylor? I said, yeah. I'm hearing that name a lot lately. And uh, she said, well, we contacted a Crown Prosecutor in Edmonton and the Edmonton City Police, and it looks like they don't want to prosecute you today. I said, excuse me? Yeah, it looks like all the charges are being dropped. I said, really? And I was still, to this day, I, I have no explanation. Like, I don't, right? And, uh, you know, we don't live in a, in, a, in a natural world. When we come to these things, it's supernatural fixes, right? That's what happened, right? And. I was brought in front of the judge that day, and he said, Mr. Taylor, I don't know why I'm releasing you, but I am releasing you on a year's unsupervised probation, and good luck in your program in Teen Challenge. And I flew to Teen Challenge, came to a little town in New Brunswick, Memram Cook, on January 9th. And since being a Teen Challenge, you know, I felt condemned for such a long time. When I, when I came to Teen Challenge, I didn't have anything. I was broken physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Everything was gone. I was bankrupt. I was a shell of my former self and I didn't have anything left. And I started taking things to the Lord, because I seen people, like uh, I had a friend in there, it was a sergeant of arms at the biggest, one of the biggest biker clubs in the world, and he was out giving his testimony at churches and doing all these things for God. I'm thinking, if he can do it, maybe I can too. So I didn't have a birth certificate, my driver's license, I was sick, I had hepatitis C from the disease and the, for, uh, that, I, uh, that I was staying in from the needles and everything, and I didn't have an education, I, everything seemed so bleak, and I started taking things to the Lord, and. I just started praying about it, and eventually I got my driver's license back, and then I got a birth certificate, and then about two months ago I started studying for my GED, and then I got my, my high school equivalency, I just graduated and got that done, that taken care of. And then, I, and then I had my liver, I had my liver to worry about, and I was like, well, I'm sick, that's a piece of me that I just can't get let go of. So then I got connected to a doctor, got approved for an $80,000 treatment for my liver, and it looks like by the end of this week, I'm, I'm about nine weeks into my treatment, I'll be cured of hepatitis C, it's not part of me anymore. I owe all these things to God, you know, and I don't feel, the biggest part about it is I don't feel condemned anymore because I didn't know, I didn't know anything about the Bible and about anything of it, like I was, and it's, it just wasn't my Christian roots when I grew up in the Catholic Church and it was just, wasn't something that I learned about, but when I learned about Paul and the man he was and how, the conversion that he went through, and I thought if a man like that, he's like my biggest role model, my biggest mentor that I look at right now, if a man like that can be turned into like someone that can re that can write three quarters of the New Testament, then maybe I can go on to do something too. Anyway, thank you. Okay. Good morning, everyone. We are so excited to be here. This is cool, huh? Coming in, power's out. We got the one spotlight going. Um, just awesome. This morning, we were trying to decide what we were going to do, and so I want to take a quick second to just say a really big thank you. Because when we got here this morning, there was already an army of people here working away. Your pastoral staff was here working away. All kinds of volunteers just trying to figure out how we're going to pull this off. And uh, they did it. So a big hand for that crew. 
And uh, a big hand to you guys. Even though most of you didn't shower, we're still glad you're here. The <laughs> uh, my name is Matt Barber. I'm the uh, director of Teen Challenge Atlantic, uh, and it's my pleasure to travel around with these guys and uh, to hear their stories, to sing along, and to worship with them. And I just wanted to take a quick second to, to share with you a little bit of the heart of Teen Challenge, and really to be to be completely transparent. And the reason why we're here this morning, why we are here, is this. We are peddling hope, and we are peddling hard. We want you to understand today that as you sit here in this, in this sanctuary, that it does not matter what brought you here today. It does not matter what your journey has looked like to this point, is that we serve a God who loves you so, so much, and he has bigger plans for your life than you can even imagine. Now I do know this, I know that next weekend um, that this church is being transformed into Christmas Central. That's coming up really quickly. And, and so you'll have to bear with me, I'm going to use a Christmas illustration to start things off. Do we have uh, many real Christmas tree people here this morning? Still a few, oh wow, the number just keeps shrinking and shrinking as far as the people that keep putting real Christmas trees. I grew up on Western PEI where we didn't even know there was such a thing as a fake tree, and so we always had the real Christmas tree. And it was a process where we would go back to the woods as a whole family, we'd pick out the tree, we'd cut it down, we'd drag it home, dad would get it set up in the stand and we'd spin it, and then we'd spin it, and then we'd spin it, because you're looking for the best side of the tree, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Then you would put the string of lights on, and you would turn Kenny and Dolly on, and then you would, uh, I believe in Santa Claus. Yeah? Uh, and so we would do that, and then it was a beautiful, beautiful display of work at the end of it. And you'd pour a glass of eggnog, you'd sit back, you'd bask in the light and the smell of the fur. And it was awesome. And even as I'm describing this, some of us are becoming really excited about the next couple of months. I miss the real Christmas tree. I'm not a real Christmas tree guy anymore. But you know what I don't miss about the real Christmas tree? Taking it down, right? By the time you've got that string of lights off, 75% of those needles are on the floor. And by the time you drag it through two doors, down the hallway, and out onto the roadside curb, there's not a needle left to be seen, right? And it was this once beautiful tree, right, that stood over these precious treasures which you handpicked for your loved ones, that it stood there and watched, and unbeknownst to it, will soon be a part of the mulch pile, right? Why did that tree fall apart? Why did it turn brown? And we know the answer to that, don't we? It's because it was cut from its source of life. It was taken away from its foundation and its roots, and it no longer had anything feeding it. That's what we're looking at this morning. We've all felt like that Christmas tree at one point or another in our lives. And it's difficult because sometimes for, it's a short period of time. And other times it goes on and on and on. Where we feel lifeless, we feel lost, we feel used, we feel like we have no source. And we've been there before. And then there's some of us who maybe we've never felt like we've had that firm ground, where we've never experienced that root and foundation, and we've just kind of lived life a little bit aimless. David wrote in the scriptures what it truly means to be rooted in the source of life. In Psalm 1, 
It says, God blesses these people who refuse evil advice and won't follow sinners or join the sneering at God. Instead, the law of the Lord makes them happy and they think about it day and night. They are like trees growing beside a stream, trees that produce fruit in season and always have their leaves. Those who succeed in everything, those people succeed in everything they do. Now understand this, is that David wasn't writing this scripture from some lofty or pompous position. But what he, was, what he was writing from was his lived experience. What he had experienced, because what we know of David, he started as a lowly shepherd. He faced off against the giant. He became the king over all of Israel. But he was also involved with adultery, deceit, lies, and murder. You see, David celebrated with victory over Goliath and being named king but he also suffered through seasons of disobedience, heartache, fear, and grief. Yet God still used his lineage to bring us Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So if, here's the thing, I'm gonna talk for two more minutes, and if the only thing you hear this morning is this, remember this, is that God did not abandon David. And as we sit here today, God has not, and God will not, abandon you. This morning we've been singing songs all about love and hope and freedom, awesome things when you've experienced them. But here's the funny thing with this, is that you really don't experience freedom until you've gone through the shackles of guilt. And we don't appreciate love until we have felt all alone. And we don't recognize hope until we've come through the darkness of despair. And that's what we're here to do today, is demonstrate that hope. You've heard from testimony from a couple of our guys already. Ryan, Luke, awesome job, guys. Just fantastic. And we've got all kinds of stories like that that we hear over and over and over again at Teen Challenge. And you've got those stories sitting here amongst you this morning. And what you're seeing on the platform here with these guys is that these are men who've made the decision that they're going to plant themselves next to the source of life, that they're going to look to Jesus Christ to transform and to change the things of their past that they can't do on their own. And they're growing, and they're growing into these tall, strong trees. And not only is it impacting their lives and changing everything for their future, but for their loved ones, for their circles, for the people who've prayed for them, who've walked alongside of them. And it's amazing to see the way that God continues to use changed lives to change lives and to change lives and to change lives. And that's the opportunity each and every one of us have here today. So as you've heard the stories about, uh, about the, the, the idea of being caught up in substance abuse and addiction of drugs and alcohol, maybe you can't relate to that. Maybe that's not something that's been a part of your life. Here's, here's the unfortunate statistics though, is that one in five of us sitting here this morning will experience anxiety, depression, some type of a mental health illness. One in five of us here. Here's another statistic, that 24%, 24% of deaths in men and women 15 to 24 years old is by suicide, right? Staggering numbers. Now the numbers for this are getting a little bit better, but still today, 41% of marriages and in divorce. And I could go on and on and on, but we get it, don't we? We've all been there, where even if it's been for a moment or if it's been for a season or it's been our whole life, we know what it means 
to battle. We know what it means to take pause and to question the things in our lives that have brought us where we are today. But through all of this, remember this, God has not abandoned you. There is hope, and it's being offered to each and every one of us, regardless of what we've done that's been so miserable and so bad that we believe can, can, that we can't be forgiven for. And if you don't believe me about it, ask these guys. They've experienced it, they've lived it, and they're telling you today that they're finding out what it means to live in victory through Jesus Christ. Now there's another group of us here, and it may be the majority of us, I know for sure it's some of us, who we've known Jesus most of our lives, we walk with him daily, and we've experienced this love and freedom and grace. And this passage is as much for you as it is for anybody else. Why? Well, it's because you know that just because you have Jesus in your corner, it does not exclude you from the brokenness of this world. It's still around us. The difference is, is that we have those firm roots that keep us steadfast in those difficult times. So be reminded of that when you come up against the hard times and look for opportunities where you could be steadfast, where you could be that anchor and be that example of Christ for someone who is yet to know him. Jesus' words are recorded in Luke. They say this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now that's an amazing promise, agreed? Absolutely. And that is the kind of promise that we find hope in. There is hope. And we are so glad that we've had the opportunity to be here and share that with you this morning. If you've got questions, if you need prayer, if you want to talk, come see any one of us, any of the pastoral staff here. They'd love to come alongside you and answer questions and, prayer, and pray with you. Uh, but we're going to pray now. And if it's something that God is stirring up in your heart this morning, if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling unrooted, if you're feeling like there's something missing in my life, I would encourage you, talk to him. Because he is the source of life. Father, we thank you so much for times like this where we can come together. And Lord, where there has been adversity overcome this morning by something like the power being out, your light continues to shine through. And God, we are so thankful for that. We're thankful for the opportunity that we get to come and to minister in your name. God, I pray that it not be us, that it not be the music, it not be the words that have been spoken, but it's through your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, God, that you will change us today, right where we sit. God, give us that hope. Give us that confidence that we know that because of following you, Lord, there is freedom, there is grace, there is love, and there is mercy. And we can't find those things anywhere else. So, Father, thank you for today. And everybody said, amen. amen.